lucky number seven. It's episode seven of the Mental Game Podcast. What's up, everyone? Sam Brief here in Chicago. So happy to have you as always, and I'm really excited to bring you today's guest. It's Kobe Carl, who is a lot of things. You might recognize the last name, Carl, K-A-R-L. He's the son of George, 1,000 game winner in the NBA, 2013 NBA Coach of the Year, George Carl. His son is Kobe. Now, Kobe's career started out as a player. He played at Boise State. He went undrafted, and then he spent most of his pro career in the G League and a little bit internationally, but he also played 24 NBA games, mostly with the 2007-2008 LA Lakers, where he played for the great Phil Jackson. He shared a court with the late great Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol, Derek Fisher, among others. So after retiring as a player in 2015, Kobe did what his bloodlines pretty much program him to do, and that's coach. For five years now, he's been the head coach of the South Bay Lakers, who were the G League affiliate of the Los Angeles Lakers. And in this interview, we get into everything. His time with the Lakers as a player, playing for Phil Jackson, his relationship with his dad, using techniques like meditation, mindfulness, how he deals with failure, We also touch, of course, on Kobe Bryant, because how can you not? Quick note before I press play, we recorded this back on Monday, October 12th, which was the day after the Lakers won the NBA Finals over Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat down in the NBA bubble in Orlando. So, of course, we talk about that, given that Kobe is a two-time member of the Lakers organization. So just a note that this was the morning after. So without further ado, here is today's guest on episode 7 of the Mental Game Podcast. It's Kobe Carl. Here with South Bay Lakers head coach Kobe Carl, joining me here on the Mental Game Podcast from Boise, Idaho. Kobe, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I'm cooped up here in my apartment in Chicago. It's a rainy day. My Zoom background is just my room and my closet. You've got your beautiful backyard in Boise and some sort of slack line obstacle course that you have set up for your daughters. It's a pretty nice setup. Yeah, it's, uh, we're pretty fortunate. Um, ever since I played at Boise State, um, knowing the way of a professional basketball player, we always maintained a house here. Uh, my girlfriend at the time and now my wife and I have always come back and um, it was nice to have this opportunity during a really tough time for our country with the pandemic, but it was a, it's a good home base for us. Kobe, could you give me an idea of what your last five, six months have been like since COVID started sweeping through in March? Yeah, I mean, I, we probably don't have enough time to go through all of that, but, um, you know, a lot of confusion at, at the start. Uh tried to educate myself on exactly what was going on with the information that was out there for us uh, in terms of the pandemic. Um, a lot of fear, um, trying to figure out, you know, what the future holds for us as a, as a species, as, as a nation. And then also for me, selfishly, as in terms of my career, where's basketball going? But, uh, uh, you know, the, on the positive side, I, we've got a ton of time with my family. Uh, my two daughters are five and three, and then um, time and time with my wife, which is is really fun to reconnect because I I haven't had this much time with them for um, since I mean never, <laughs> to be honest. 
That's a big-time silver lining, Kobe. And I'm sure your family really appreciates having you around. So you're in your fifth season with South Bay, the Lakers G League affiliate. And first of all, we're recording this on Monday, October 12th. And just last night, I watched the Lakers win title number 17. You're a part of the organization as a coach. You played for the team as a player. So congrats on the ring. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, it's it's a little surreal, obviously, not being there in the bubble with those guys and, and being on, on the direct staff. But um, our our organization, the South Bay Lakers, and our staff have a ton of pride watching Alex Caruso. Uh, you know, and obviously had an integral part last night moving into the starting lineup. But uh, watching him succeed uh, over the playoffs, we we saw Taylor Horn Tucker get a little stretch as well. So it's um, it's it's a it's a really proud moment for us as an organization to be able to help to help them. A lot to be proud of, and Alex has gotten a lot of hype on social media. So even more to be proud of for Mr. Caruso. So congrats to you and the whole organization. Now, Kobe, I'm curious about some of the influences in your life and how that's impacted your coaching. Your dad, George, coached over a thousand games in the NBA. You played for Phil Jackson. And these are some coaches who are really interested in mindfulness. We saw Phil in Last Dance practicing meditation with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, all those guys. How much do you stay in touch with mindfulness and the mental side of things? Yeah, I'm, I mean, growing up around my father, I got to hear some of the really interesting conversations that, that, that talk about the psychology of, of, of athletes, of leaders, of humans through failure and success. Uh, whether that was with my mom and or with family members, he would he would talk about you know how emotional Gary Payton was, but how it, it actually benefited the team because that emotion helped him propel into competitiveness and just some of these things. Um, or being in a coach's meeting with my dad when I was a ball boy or on the road with them. So I got to see the, I mean, my dad was really into psychology. He always says, you know, coaching in the NBA is more ego management and uh, attitude adjustment than it is X's and O's. Um, now, granted, you have to have both to, to be successful at the level that he was. But um, so I got to see a lot of that and I, and I got to understand it from, from kind of behind the scenes growing up. And then as a player, uh, I stopped playing because I, I just didn't feel that um, that connection to the, the the team, the game, my teammates uh, that I that I kind of fallen in love in love with for a long for uh, for my life when I fell in love with the game of basketball and then so that was why I stopped playing was I wanted to provide that for for other players to to provide an opportunity where they can connect with something bigger than themselves. Um, and that being a, the game of basketball on a, a team with, you know, 10 to 15 different players and then staff and staff and coaches. You mentioned that your dad really valued ego management. And obviously at the NBA level, that's something that is just a necessity, right? You've got star players, egos often butting heads and a lot of big personalities. For you in the G League, where do the egos compare to what you deal with at the NBA level? You know, that's a good question. My dad doesn't necessarily value it, but he would always say that that was his biggest job was, was the management of egos. But, you know, for us in the G League, um, I would say it's probably not nearly as, as difficult or as prominent because uh, our players aren't uh, millionaires yet. 
Um, they haven't been given guaranteed contracts. Uh, they haven't had to deal with the fame and what fame brings. So the Eagles are probably smaller and, and less powerful. Um, but we all have ego, you know, um, and it's something that we all deal with in different ways. Some of us are aware of it. Some of us aren't. And, you know, especially with very strong masculine men that are competitive and successful, uh, those usually tend to get bigger in a field like, like, like basketball, competitive professional basketball. Um, so it's something that, you know, we're aware of um, something that's just natural when you grow up around the game of basketball, uh, whether you're playing in the park, there's going to be people that assert their dominance. There's going to be people that prefer to be the second fiddle. You know, there's going to be people that like just to be a role player or are there to have fun. And, you know, so, um, like all this stuff goes into to being a coach, uh, to being a teacher. You played for Phil Jackson, the Zen master. How often did you meditate and what role did mindfulness play in his coaching? We would probably meditate, I would say, once a week, once every two weeks as a team. So that was the first time I was introduced to meditation ever in my life. Um, and we did it as a, as a team and we were in the film room and he led it. So he, he had us all, you know, move to the front of our seats, straighten our spine up, get, get in a comfortable alert position and close our eyes and focus on our breathing. Um, you know, for a young man who was a little insecure, uh, trying to find my way in the NBA, it was uh, a very intimidating thing. It was so, something so new. And then other things, so I'm looking around like, is this guy serious? And I look around and Kobe Bryant's doing it. Derek Fisher's doing it. Lamar Odom, you know, even, you know, young guys that are younger than me, Roni Turioff, Andrew Bynum. So it was clearly something that they, their example was something that helped me appreciate it. And, and it was something that, that they valued. So, um, so that was my first experience with it. And then, I mean, as we've seen on the last dance with, with coach Jackson, He's a very unique personality, uh, comes from a religious background, and, and he fell into the Eastern philosophies with Buddhism and, and, and Zen Buddhism, to be specific. Did you find that meditating helped you? I really enjoyed The first time I did it was like, it was an unbelievable relief to me, like to have quiet. And it wasn't easy, but it was, it was, very, it was very relieving just to be calm um, without distractions, without, um, you know, uh, noise. And so that was a relief for me. And then as I've gotten older, you know, I, I've started my own meditation practice and, and, uh, do it almost daily. Um, so I find it very beneficial, but that, I mean, that's the thing about life is I won't know, you know, like it's something that I do to hope hopefully better my life and, and, and to have a, a better understanding of what I'm doing and, and a little better control. But, um, you know, I won't know. We can't, we can't live both lives at the same time to see what it would do. And what I wouldn't do. do you employ any of those techniques with your team? Yeah. So we, we've dabbled in it and I, and I believe in it. Um, two years ago we started doing like a, a we did a couple different, um, recorded meditations uh, one was like a post-practice meditation where, where we had guys lay down and a um, little bit of a visualization with some meditation with relaxation. And then this this last season, I, I did it for the first time where I led it. 
um, and basically took bits and pieces from meditations that I've learned from or listened to. And I led it with our group. And, you know, our, our, the general focus from what I understand when, when I do it is, is I want our guys to be aware of, of our mind and, uh, you know, just, just following your breath and being, being aware of how easy and how, um, how quickly we lose focus on, on the present moment or any task that we're trying to, to focus on. So it's, it's, um, you know, for me, it's a, it's a practice of focus as much as, as the spirituality of it. I find meditating so difficult, quieting the mind. It's something that's so much easier said than done. And I've experienced it. Is that something you experienced when you were a young Laker? No, <laughs> No, not when I was a young Laker. I, I, I definitely had a, a very fast mind and um, was still learning about, you know, my self-awareness was, was growing very, very slowly. Uh, but it's, it's a completely natural thing. And, and I think from what I've learned from my meditation practice is it's you don't slow your mind. You, you become more aware of it and, and to change your focus and, and to understand that, um, you know, being being where you are at that moment. So uh, understanding if my mind is going crazy, maybe there's a reason why, and maybe I need to spend some more time relaxing or calming myself or taking care of what the issue that's on the top of my mind. You know, I think we, I already discussed the pandemic right now. It's a very difficult time for us is the unknowns, the differences in our world right now are, are, are can put us on edge. And I think with, with, with that mindfulness, practice it allows us to slow down a little bit and try to get control of our nervous system a little better the late great kobe bryant Derek fisher pau gasol that 0708 lakers team you played on chock full of people to soak in knowledge from give me just one really important lesson you learned from one of those lakers um you know there's there's a man there's there's a, there's a bunch of them um what came to mind when you were talking about that was Kobe, actually, I, I watched a speech later once I was, I left the team, but Kobe was talking to the LA Rams, I think, uh, maybe the Chargers. And he was talking about in high school, he hit a game where he, he hit a shot with like five seconds to go uh, to put them up two, And then uh, they, the other team called the town. He lost focus for a second. He was thinking about winning. He lost focus for a second. And the and the guy like slipped behind him, back cut, layup, game over. They lose. And he was talking about just that ability, like you know, to focus and to be aware of you know, how easily our focus is taken away from us. And I think you see it in so many ways of, especially with playoff basketball, you can see, you know, you can see really predominantly what teams are trying to do. They're trying to get Duncan Robinson open shots. They're trying to get Tyler Hero open shots. They're trying to get isolations for Jimmy Butler. And you can see immediately when the Lakers make a mistake that they take advantage of it, you know, and, and, and all it is is, you know, I, I have a relationship with Alex Caruso and I, in game one, Alex was guarding Tyler Hero. And for like literally a 0.2 seconds, he lost focus and Tyler relocated and they got him the ball and he shot it. And it was, it was abnormal for, for Alex to do that. But, but I mean, that's just the nature of it of what it is, is different guys take different amounts of focus to play against. And I think at that level, at the highest level where Kobe's playing and where, where Alex was playing, it, it, it's really important to be able to, to focus. 
Of course, losing Kobe and Gigi and everyone on that helicopter was so tragic. And after his death, even more came out about what made Kobe so great. And what you just said, focus, that, that's one of the things that really stood out to me, in addition to the type of man and the type of father he was off the court. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's really cool. Obviously, it's an absolute tragedy that we lost Kobe and Gigi. Um, but my, my daughters, like I said, are five and three. And, and Kobe had this podcast. Uh, it's called The Punies. And we were listening to it with my daughters because I try to give them some healthy uh, entertainment at times. Um, and in the podcast, it talks about them playing a game. And one of the kids was talking about like, Hey, we, let's take a deep breath. And, and then it goes into teach, you know, like, what are you talking about? That's, you know, some mumbo jumbo, it, you know, in the way that kids, kids are, um, entertained, but it talks about how, you know, let's calm ourselves, take one deep breath, be where we are. And I'm happy that before Kobe left us, that he was able to pass on some of this this wisdom and knowledge that he learned. Because I think, um, like I said, in the egocentric, um, very masculine dominated world uh, of athletics, I think we forget some of these techniques are are imperative to being the best that we can be, and not just allowing our, um, not just allowing our. Um, biology take over in the athletic world that you're painting everyone is constantly failing even a sharp shooting three-pointer like a Steph Curry misses multiple times a night a Hall of Fame coach like Phil Jackson loses tens of games sometimes fewer than 10 games but still loses some games every year in that world how do you come to terms with that failure well how, how do I deal with it um you know, I, I try to maintain the understanding that the most important thing in my life is my family. Um, now, my success as a coach affects my family, so I keep that in mind. But when I come home after a game, if we're at a home game, is, is understanding that I'm not going to take that energy out on my, my kids and, and my wife, uh, that they're separate entities. Uh, and... So I, I think that's how I deal with it, is maintain the understanding that I, I want my kids to be healthy and feel loved and, and my wife to, to feel like she has a great partner in me. Um, so that's that's one thing for me. But I, I think maintaining focus on the present moment is, is, is what we've been talking about a lot. And I think that's another thing is let's stay present. We can't, after the game, it's it's not a time to yell and scream. Rather, let's let's take take this, soak it in if we lose and then come back and then, and then we'll look at the video together and, and be present there and figure out a way, what we did last game, what we can improve on next game. And when we're at practice, let's focus on these physical tasks that we're trying to accomplish together, uh, w whether individually or as a team. So I, I think those are the things that come to mind um, when you ask that question. All right, Kobe, for the next few minutes, you're my coach and I'm having a shit week. I can't score, I'm sluggish, I look fatigued, I look unfocused, and clearly my struggles are getting to me. I'm letting up defensively, I'm not being a good teammate. What do you say to me? Well, I think, uh, you know, empathy and compassion is, is, is as important as any skill for a coach or a teacher or a human being. I mean, I guess all those can be weaved together. Um, but I think the, it starts with the question, are you okay? You know, how are you doing? 
Um, and, you know, that's dependent on my relationship with that player and, and how much that player trusts me or how much trust I've earned from that player. You know, sometimes it might be, sometimes it might be my assistant coach who, who broaches that conversation because my relationship with that assistant, with that player isn't as strong as, as the, as my assistant is. Um, but, you know, understanding that, you know, we all have shitty days and we all have shitty weeks and we all have, you know, you can get to months and years at, at times as well. So I think empathy and compassion are, are, are the main things there. But I think at our level, what I'm learning probably more than ever now is, yes, we're all going to have difficult times, but it's our responsibility. Like this is our job um, to push ourselves. And um, Doc Rivers had had a saying back when he was with Boston, I think it was in Mbutu, it was an African saying they learned over the summer. And it, and I'm gonna butcher the 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 principle here, but or you'll get the con or the understanding of the concept. But is, you know, it's 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 your responsibility to be the best person you can be. It's my responsibility, the ability to be the best person I can be, so we can be the best that we can be together. And I think that's that's the essence of team, and that's the essence of coming together as a coach and a player and a staff, uh, and especially at that level, that competitive level is. Um, at some point, sometimes it's not going to be comfortable. Uh, and you, you said the world word failure earlier. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown and without failure, without, you know, tragedy, without feeling these emotions, we can't get the other side of those emotions too. We can't feel the highs. You brought up Brene Brown, whose Ted talk on vulnerability also something that I try to think about a lot in my day-to-day life. When did you first come across that and and how has it affected you as a coach and as a person the first time i came across that ted talk i was playing for ludwigsburg in germany in the bundesliga uh bbl and um i don't know it so that was probably six seven years ago and it, it hit home with me immediately uh you know i i as a comp- competitor uh, as a person who likes to grow and get better, like uh, I'm always le- looking for hacks. I'm looking for, you know, what more can I do to prepare my body? What, what more can I do to prepare my skills? Uh, what more can I do to prepare against the opponent? So a little bit of a control mechanism. Um, but when I heard Brene talk about, you know, like I got this, you know, like, <laughs> you know, she, she was talking about how like, I'll figure it out. Uh, it really resonated with me. And, and I think I, I've seen, you know, not addictions, but I think ways of, of mellowing pain, whether it's the use of alcohol or the use of video games or the use of TV, I've seen this in myself. I've seen it in family members. I've seen it in teammates. And, 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 I, and it was a, it hit me hard to realize that, yeah, we need to, we need to strengthen ourselves interior our internal um, so that we can, so we can be rewarded with some of these more difficult things uh, in the, in the future rather than just numbing them. To what degree is it difficult to be vulnerable in such a masculine environment that on top of being masculine is under a microscope and on the news and on ESPN and you've got an arena of 20,000 people watching you every few nights? Again, it goes back to relationship. Um, it goes back to the trust level that you have with your team and your players. Um, I would say, you know, I would say it's, it's, it's very difficult, (laughs) 
bottom line. I think it's very difficult for anyone. Um, but I think when, when, when you, when you're talking about players, especially NBA players are, who are in front of the media, who are in front of social media on a daily basis, uh, it, you, you become hardened by these criticisms. You become, uh, untrusting of other people. Uh, so I think it, that's where it becomes difficult, but you know, that's my ambition as a coach is I want to create an environment of safety and understanding part of the good stuff too is is that vulnerability is is what will allow us to grow even greater and stronger um so you know i think from my experience you know giving our players opportunity on a team to be vulnerable to be open to be honest i've seen a lot of good really special moments uh i would say 80% you know 75% of our guys are ready to be vulnerable if you give them the opportunity in the in the in that they feel safe in but sometimes you know sometimes whether it's um emotional difficulty or whatever stress they're under uh sometimes guys just aren't ready to do that and and that's just where where they are at that point and i think you know that's another thing is we got to be compassionate to, to everyone else's path can you take me through the day of your nba debut and the emotions you were feeling throughout yeah it's pretty simple uh you know i it was I just made the team. So I was on a non-guaranteed contract. I got a partial guarantee. Um, and I play really well in training camp, but like I was new to it all. It was the first time I'd been part of a team. Uh, I knew, you know, I, I knew that Sasha Vujicic was probably ahead of me in the, in the rotation because he had been there for four years, whatever, five years and, or three or four, whatever it was. Um, so I went in the game and I was just happy to have a Jersey on. And then I was ready to have fun and be a teammate and, and be a spectator. And coach at the end of the first quarter, I believe, put me in to, to save uh, Kobe Bryant a foul. So, or in, in the quarter situation, it was took someone out and for like 45 seconds, 25 seconds, I was in the game. So it was, it was, it was more shocking probably than anything, uh, but uh, a, little, a little surreal. You know, growing up around the game, seeing as a fan for so many years to be part of it uh, was a lot of fun and, and, a, and a great honor. A lot of my listeners might not know this, but you're one of the only players in NBA history to play in a D-League game and an NBA game in the same day. What was that day like? That was fun too. Uh, I mean, all these things. We're, we're we're talking about the game of basketball. It's like you know. I think Dan, Danny Green just got some attention for death threats with his family, and I thought Danny handled that great. It's like we're talking about a game, and uh, and there's so many things that people do in this world to earn a living that are so much more difficult than the things that we do on the court. Um, so just to keep that in perspective and, and it was really the only thing I wanted to do. So, you know, you tell me I got to, I, I can play two games in a, in a day. It was great. Uh, and the best part for me is I, our ambitions as, uh, or at least my ambition as a player was to play in the NBA. And I, I was down in the D league at the time it was the D league. So I'd been there for whatever, two or three weeks. And then our general manager, Mitch, Mitch Kupchak told me after this game, you're going to come join us. So back then we played at like 4 PM and the Staples center as like the JV game. And then um, he said, after the game, you're going to come join us. So it was like shower up, get a couple shots up, whatever you got to do. And then you'll be on the bench with us. So I was in Jersey. I was in our Jersey. We played, I think we won 
uh, maybe against Bakersfield. And then uh, showered up, got my Lakers jersey on, and uh, and and we played Atlanta that night, and we we blew them out. So we were up like twenty five, and and I was the guy that they put in during blowouts. So I got an opportunity to play in that game too. I think we got like five minutes as the third unit, and you know had a couple buckets. Had I think I got a dunk, um, but it was it was exhilarating, um, and it's fun to be part of history too. Like not too many people get the opportunity to play in a G League game and an NBA game in the same day. I think Jordan Farmar was the first to do it, and you were number yeah. two. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, th- I think there's been four or five since then, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty special thing, and uh, it was pretty cool. I remember it was part of um, ESPN had it on their lineup. I, I remember getting some love from them again. Another surreal experience growing up around the game. Kobe, you've used the phrase growing up around the game a few times, and I've already mentioned your dad, George Carl, a 1,000-game winner in the NBA, 2013 League Coach of the Year. Can you take me a bit through your childhood and what that was like? Because his NBA coaching career pretty much coincided with your birth. The game of basketball for me as a young child was fun. Fun. That's it. You know, it was... I would go to school once I got a little older. I'd go to school, and then on the weekends, I could go to shoot around. Or I could go to practice or shoot around with my dad. So that was like the playground for me. Uh, and it's not your normal playground, obviously, but I just, I just, for some reason, fell in love with being around teams, being around the game of basketball, being around that environment of connectivity that you see in a locker room, that you see in, in spirited competition. And uh, so I just fell in love with it, like the fun, like I remember learning how to spin a ball on my finger, you know, learning how to shoot shots, uh, playing one-on-one against, you know, um, playing one-on-one against some pros, whether it was in Spain or in the CBA or uh, on my dad's NBA teams that he coached. So it was just, it was a lot of fun for me. It was a great opportunity to be around a sport and and a game. And then also a, a highly, highly competitive um, high achieving environment as well. So, uh, but the game for me, like my dad never pushed it on me and I appreciate that. And it was just like, hang out, you know, be a ball boy, pass out towels. And, uh, and then I just started falling in love with it, you know, around like fifth grade, sixth grade. So when you were a kid, you were passing out towels, flash forward to 2008, you're actually going toe to toe with your dad father versus son in the first round of the NBA playoffs because it was Lakers versus Nuggets. When you saw your dad on the other bench in an NBA playoff game, you thought to yourself, what? Nothing really, to be honest. It was just, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we had a job to do. It was, it was uh, you know, that, that's one thing that I think I've, I've learned from my dad or being around these high-achieving people is is that ability to focus is like you know my dad wasn't my dad my dad was the competitor at that point you know once once the ball goes up and uh and there's a loyalty to to my team at that point to to respect you know what we're trying to accomplish so it it was it was a fun experience uh you know partially because i knew a lot of the guys on that coaching staff i knew a lot of the guys on the on the on the team you know i worked out with them during the summers uh, trying to get myself better uh, with a lot of those assistant coaches and some of some of the players as well. So that was that was fun. But you know, once once the ball goes up, it's 
trying to win. And I think it's the same for my father as well. As we talked about, you got to be focused. You got to be present, right? You don't have time to think, oh, damn, that's dad. <laughs> you have to go win the game. Yeah. And my dad's never been, uh, you know, he, he's never been that uh, when, when competition is involved, he's, he's always been very focused on, on the task at hand. And like I said, is something that I'm happy I learned from him. Kobe, I want to go back to your role as the South Bay Lakers head coach. Obviously, it's early October, and we just finished the NBA Finals, which is a sentence that in a normal world, I would never be able to say. The basketball world, the world as a whole, has been turned upside down. What do you see as the future of the G League, and have you gotten any guidance on when your next game will be? We, we've, we've had some conversations with the G League uh, front office and, and talk to them about exactly what's going on. Um, but there's nothing in, there's nothing concrete right now. They're, they're working. Um, that's all that, that's all they've been doing since the pandemic started was trying to figure out how do we, how do we continue this process? So they're working. I think, uh, what I'm hearing is, you know, probably be bubbles if, um, if we're, we're able to get it done. And then it also, uh, you know, maybe a possibility of some type of tournament format where we can get a, a lot of guys playing there. But no no word on when that will be, and, and there's no de- definitive word on if that will be either. How much have you been able to stay in touch with your players during this off time? Um, sporadically. You know, I, I try to give, give, our, give our guys their own space. Uh, you know, obviously some of them I've – a uh, closer relationship than others, just as, as just as anyone. But I, I try to give them space and, um, and an opportunity to 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 live their lives. But as well, you know, with the G League, it's it's difficult because they're not just under contract with us; they sign in every year, so they're not necessarily our property or you know where they're going to come play for us. It, it's it's going to be a choice. So uh, I don't want. Um, you know, I don't want them feeling as if I'm contacting them, trying to recruit them to come back. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to almost all of our guys and just touch base with them um, once every two or three months. And um, but, uh, you know, that's that's part of the fun of being a coach is, is maintaining those relationships and and uh, getting to know guys um, as the time goes on. Kobe, hoping we can see you on a basketball sideline very, very soon. And thanks for hopping on the podcast, for being open and honest. Best of luck, best of health and safety to you and the whole family. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Best of luck. Back here in the studio now, really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I thought Kobe got into a whole smattering of things, and it's interesting to hear from a guy who himself is a coach, but also is the son of an NBA coach and played for the best of them all in Phil Jackson. As always, remember you can like, rate, and subscribe to the Mental Game Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, and more. I've been Sam Brief with you from Chicago. Hope you have a great rest of your week, folks. Stay safe, stay healthy. Adios. Adios.